Well, good morning, church. Welcome to Echo Church. My name is J.D. Partain, and for the next 45 minutes, I'll be the pastor of Echo Church. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's one of those things that you, you think about often, you know. Um, I don't know if you, you process, you know, how's that last day at work going to be? You know, you're going to tell off the boss, say the things you've always wanted to say, that kind of thing. Oh, man, here it comes. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I just reflect, and I keep reflecting, and I'll always remember Bubba um, Alsup. Uh, and for those of you who don't know Bubba Alsup, he's, you know, he's, a, little, uh, he's a bigger dude. And uh, he, he came up to me in the middle of a church service when we were over at the uh, Missoula Valley Church, which was on Higgins Street. And he came up to me and he said, listen, I think you should plant a church. And, and I think you should use that worship echo thing to plant the church. And I was like, yeah, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> you know, I was like, uh, that was not what I wanted to, uh, to do at all. And now, I mean, I, I reflect on all of this and I just think it's probably one of the best times I've ever been wrong. I just, uh, I gotta get through this. Good grief, I'm just starting. I, uh, I know, I don't think I can. <laughs> it's just, what a wonderful mistake, right? Uh, what, a, what a wonderful way to go through this particular journey. And for those of you who are visiting, we've been on the ground for almost seven years. If you're counting the worship service that we began with, it would be about seven years. In fact, it would be just a little bit over seven years. And you look at, and you look at that particular journey, and I have all these notes and everything and, and in my computer and I got pictures that I'm going to be showing you a little bit later, but the, the thing that came back to me pretty quick was Moses. Because Moses, he reflects before he dies. In fact, uh, the book of Deuteronomy literally means, that title means given of the second law, or well, it's the second giving of the law, essentially. In other words, what Moses does is he reminds the people of the law. But I think he kind of reminds them of much more than that because what they're about to do is this. They're about to finally cross the Jordan River and go into the promised land. They had their shot 40 years prior, and they blew it. But now they're about to do it. He's about to pass the baton to Joshua because Moses, the most humble man on the face of the earth, was at one moment too proud and because of that, God said, you're not going to be able to go into the promised land. So instead, he'll go up onto a high place, and he'll look down into it, and he'll die. All right? So that's what's going to happen. And, and Moses knows that to some degree. And so what he does is this, is he reflects. And he tells people, he's like, remember this. And remember, don't do this. And remember, you should do this. You know, that kind of stuff. And so in that reflection, what I want to do is this. I want to talk about the city. I want to talk about the reason I think we're here. Last week, I talked about the gospel. Believe it or not, it was actually a series. I just didn't tell you. Uh, the gospel, and this week, we're talking about the city. Because the gospel goes into the city. I'm going to state right up front, one of my favorite authors is Timothy Keller. Uh, back in 2015, when we were sort of trying to get our ducks in a row with Echo, Nick McMillan came to me and he said, you should read this book. It's called Center Church. It's fantastic. We had a Bible class, and we, we were like researching all this stuff that, that Tim Keller was writing about, and you'll see some of those notes in today's lesson. Also, because I know you would feel incomplete without it, I have a handout to give you. 
which I'm going to pass out. Not yet. I'll cue you when it's time. Uh, and then I'm going to then I'm going to hand out to you so you can so you can follow along. Just real quick. Last week we talked about gospel. So what is gospel? Gospel is this good news. It's the news everyone needs to hear. Right? It's the news of, of of Jesus Christ. The Greek word is euangelion, and it means the good news or the good message. Last week, I also told you that my friend uh, and pastor, uh, Pastor Aaron Kepke of New Hope Church, he said to me that there were four questions that every church should be willing to answer. And that is, number one, who is God? Number two, who are we in relation to God? Number three, what is the problem between us and God, which we addressed last week? And then the fourth question is, is how is this problem addressed? And of course, it's addressed through Jesus Christ, which we also talked about last week. Then, of course, me being who I am, I tacked on another question. <laughs> then what? I think it's a legitimate question. Uh, the then what is what sparks this type of energy inside of me. Because once we have the problem addressed and we realize that we've been reconciled back to God, we have several options. For a long time, I thought we just hunker down, wait out the storm until Jesus comes, Right? This horrible world. Let's protect ourselves. That's not what happens. It's certainly not what Jesus tells us to do. So then what? In 1 Peter chapter 1, it says these words, these words starting in verse 4, we have a priceless inheritance. It's an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. It's pure. It's undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Period. That could have been it. That's, that's a good message right there. Right? But then he says this. He says, so be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead though you must endure many trials for a little while. Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are a people of God. It's fascinating because Peter is, is saying, you have this, it's reserved for you, but guess what? There's a now what? And the now what is this? You're going to endure some trials. And it's, I mean, can I say this? It's, it's going to suck. <laughs> it's going to be kind of bad. You know, it's, it's one of those things that you're not exactly going to be excited to jump into. Remember also who Peter is talking to. So Peter is writing not to a specific city at all. He's writing to this people that have been scattered. And the evidence shows us that it's probably because of the first persecution or Roman persecution under Nero. You remember the whole thing about he burned the city himself? And then who do he blame? The Christians. Yeah, right? And so there's this big persecution that's happening, and that's what, what Peter is writing to. And so throughout his letter, at least in a couple of places, he says these words. He says at the very beginning, to those who reside as exiles. Scattered throughout Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and, and, and Benithia. Peter makes it clear, he says, to expect that the gospel will be highly offensive, though never completely embraced or accepted by this world. But he uses this word 
to those who reside as the peripedemos, all right? So the peripedemos is this Greek word which really is a transliteration of this idea of an exile. Other words that are used in translation are strangers. Um, the NASB says aliens. The World English Bible uses pilgrims. The Good News Bible says refugees. The ASV says sojourners. And in the NLT, you'll see the word foreigners. But what, what is it describing? What's the transliteration? Basically, it's this person whose actual home is over here. But they find themselves as residents right here, which is an interesting situation to be in because you have the values and the belief systems of this home over here. But you're also living in this culture. So in what ways are you influenced by that culture? How much does it change you? Should it change you? So as Peter's writing this, I think he has a little bit of a double meaning in mind. I think he is talking to those who have been scattered, mainly Gentiles, but also some Jews. He uses Old Testament references in this book. And, and there are those that have been persecuted, so they're not in their normal home, right? They're kind of scattered throughout all over the place. So there is that displacement, but I think he's using a double meaning because later in chapter two, he literally says that, uh, beloved, I urge you as exiles and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. In other words, you're exiles from somewhere else, from the city of God, this this place that you as Christ, when you clothed yourself with Christ, you became citizens of another city, of another place. I think sometimes we have this idea, oh, I can't wait to get to heaven, the new Jerusalem. If you read the second to last chapter uh, of Revelation, you know, this, this, this city that's being lowered from the sky. I can't wait to be there. I can't wait to go there, right? Scriptures make it clear, you're already there. You're already in that particular city, or at least you are citizens of it. Though for now, you endure various trials here. Folks, you are exiles. This world is not your home. You have a new home. So what are you supposed to do with that? What are we, the peripedemos, the exiles, the sojourners, supposed to do with all of this? Well, Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, verse 14, he says, you're a city on a hill. So be that light in the darkness. So this is where I get to start to deliver some of my final words. Love this city. This is a hard place to live. And it is awesome. It's beautiful. And it's exciting. And everyone goes crazy over the grizz. And they should, I think. You know, it's like, it's, it's such an incredible town. And at the same time, it's a difficult town. And every year I get to meet new church planters. Right now, there are at least five church plants that are struggling to find a place and a home so that they can start spreading God's word. And I'm telling you right now, you should be praying for all of them because every year church plants die. They call it the church plant graveyard for a reason. So how are we supposed to love that if this is the city that we're in? Especially because we're not really residents of this city. We're residents of a different city. So what are we supposed to do with Missoula? 
We're not to hate the place that we're in. We're supposed to consider God's words, especially to those that were the exiles in Babylon. Now remember, and when I talk about Babylon, basically there were these kings, King David, King Solomon, that kind of thing. And then after King Solomon, things kind of went bad. And there were two kingdoms that split. And the one in the north was called Israel. And it, it just, it went down the pathway of destruction. It was essentially taken over eventually by Syria. But this one down here had good king, bad king, good king, bad king, bad king, bad king, good king. You know, it's like back and forth until finally they couldn't keep it together either. And God sent Babylon down to grab them and take them back up to Babylon. And in three different trips, the last one being horrific, where the temple was destroyed, they all found themselves in this city, this place called Babylon. And you would think that being these Jews, they would hate that place. They should hate that place. From the time of Genesis 11 all the way to the to Revelation, when the Bible talks about Babylon, it's not good. It's not pretty at all. It becomes the metaphor for this thing that's detestable. But what does he say? The prophet Jeremiah tells them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, And he's speaking to the exiles who are in Babylon. He says these words. To all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, and eat their produce. He goes on to say, have families, enjoy life. But then he says these words, he says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will have welfare. Which is fascinating that there's this city that's going to become the metaphor, all right, for all that's evil in the world. And what does God say? Love it. But not just love it. Look at that last phrase. He says, for in its welfare you will find welfare. It's almost as though the way in which you treat this horrible city is the way in which you'll be receiving that blessing yourself, which is fascinating. And I think those instructions are the same instructions to us. And as I said before, Peter, as he's writing this particular letter in 1 Peter, he makes it clear that the gospel will always be offensive to this world. It can never be completely embraced or accepted by the world. And Jonah makes it clear that it is often difficult to know that God loves the city, all of the city. It's difficult to find yourself in agreement with God that you ought to love the city, which is what Jonah shows us. Throughout Old Testament history, prophets were sent to preach to God's people and to call them to repentance. Jonah was the first prophet that was sent to a pagan city, and it really rattled him. He went the opposite way. He was not interested. But God has shown us through his love of Nineveh how he expects us to love our city. So now, Miles, are you ready to pass those those out? All right, great. So I'm giving you handouts because I just want to go over a a few things. What does it mean for us to love this city? If we are not residents here, those of us who who have clothed ourselves with Christ, what does it mean to love this city? What I like about Missoula is there's a lot of aspects of Missoula that I find it very, very easy to love. I love raising my kids up in this town. Let's be honest with you. I love downtown. I love the energy that it has. I told Olivia and Jonathan when they got here, I said, you know what? I know the winters are rough, but wait till the summer because it's almost like the the town just explodes with activity and they find almost every reason they can to celebrate something, 
right? And, and I love those aspects. So what does it mean, though, outside of just living here, what it means to love our city? Number one is this. Is it possible for us to develop an appreciative attitude toward this city? Hey, I know, I know things aren't perfect. This isn't some utopia. I think we can agree on that. But what does it mean to have an appreciation? What does it mean to display a positive attitude towards our city? Of course there are things wrong with it. But we as Christians, what are we delivering to the rest of this world when we convey anything other than an appreciative attitude of this city? We should have, a, we should have ministries, both as a church and as individuals, that are effective, and that means that we must find an authentic joy and excitement in being a part of this particular town. Why? Because many of the people who live here, they actually like it, <laughs> okay? That's kind of like, you, in many ways, you find yourself in good company if you have that joy of your town, because most of the Missoulians, they like it. I remember growing up here. I remember when it was a blue-collar town that had a couple of wood mills in it, and everything was really slow, and everyone drove a crappy car. And I remember thinking, why does everyone drive a crappy car? You know why? Because they will do whatever it takes to stay in this valley. And I think that still exists today. Second, negative attitudes regarding social problems, government infrastructure issues, they can taint a person's view of your faith. Your example is on, I mean, full display. They can see your attitudes about all sorts of things. Will that negativity find its way into their perception of you? If you hate the town, and then you're like, yeah, you should come to church with me. <laughs> what, I, what kind of results do you think that'll have? Obviously, they may not come at all, or even worse, they might, because they think, you know, they're in good company having negative attitudes. As I said, Babylon argue, arguably was the most detested city in Scripture, but it was to be blessed by the Jewish exile. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Number two, how do we love our city? We live in the tension. This is a tricky one, and I need you guys to, to have some patience and have some grace with me on this. Become a dynamic counterculture where you live. This is a tough one. I've already mentioned a couple of times, Peter makes it clear, the gospel is offensive. Jesus made it clear, the gospel is offensive. Even before Jesus came, it talked about how the light would enter into the darkness. John chapter 1. And boy, the darkness would not like it. It's too bright. As citizens of God's city, we bring an alternative culture into the city culture, a culture of joy and peace and selfless service. I should have added the word extraordinary. Because Christians ideally should live in a, in a way in which we are extraordinarily at peace. When things are at their worst, we display peace. Psalm 48 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth. I think he's talking about Zion, but you know what? Metaphorically, the joy of the whole earth, that's, that should be us. There should be this radiance of what it means to find joy. So we bring a culture, a, a Jesus culture, a Christian culture that can show how sex, money, and power can be used in non-destructive ways. Hey, that is extremely powerful right there. How classes and races ought to embrace and value each other. 
how to utilize the God-given tools and giftedness of art, education, government, business, to bring hope to people rather than dominion, despair, and cynicism in a doggy dog world where the American dream is to get do what it takes to get what you want. At the same time, we hold fast to gospel truth and the infallible word of God. So at times, this creates a tension where we are unable to compromise Scripture, but must not use Scripture to cut ourselves off or distance ourselves from the people of this city. Examples are usually found in these areas, the LGBTQ culture. Listen, the reason I went over there almost three years ago and met the director was because I wanted to extend. I wanted to at least demonstrate something that showed some small degree of care and love that was without condition. Did you hear what I said? When I met him and shook his hand, his name is um, David Herrera. When I, when I met Dave, I shook his hand and I said to him, well, I said to him, I come in peace. I'm not going to hit you with my Bible. I said that as well. But I also made it clear. I come with no other agenda other than I just want to understand. I want to understand your views. I mean, what's important to you? What are you afraid of? What is your life like? You know, there was another question inside of me, and that was, I wonder how bad Christians are towards the gay community. If I position myself on this side, would I be able to get another perspective? Okay, those are the things that I went in there with. You know what I was scared of? I was scared of one question. Do you believe it's a sin to be homosexual? What's interesting is that question never came. Even after I started going to the men's groups again and again and again, and I would go to their monthly potlucks. There's lots of quiche. I love it that they're always like, JD, we got to make you gay. You know, we're going to get wine and quiche. This is, these are the things the guys are always saying to me and stuff, you know. And I know they mean well and all the rest of it. And it was really fun. And I'm always, I've always been touched by the fact that nobody invited me to go hunting with them since 2010. Nobody invited me to go hunting with them but my gay friend. I find that kind of funny because of my own stereotypes that I have created. I was humbled. But the tension is this. The Bible speaks about this issue. It does. There are seven or eight different verses in the Bible where God speaks about it. But I'm not the author. He talks about it in the Old Testament and the New. I didn't write it. I don't even like it. But that's what's written. So that's on this side. At the same time, I've become very close to a number of people in this community that I dearly love. And they are good people. In fact, in many ways, I would say that they rival Christians in the ways in which they reach into this community and they're looking for the injustice. And I'm blown away by it. And that's on this side. Folks, I'm right there in the middle in the tension. I don't know what to do about it. But I'm slowly come to learn that I'm going to live there. 
which is really tough because both sides, sometimes they don't like you. But that's where I think we ought to be. Because I will walk hand in hand with anyone in this particular community if they want to know God's word, because I know that's going to be a difficult journey. That's as much clarity as I can give. And it's frustrating. But folks, if we're going to live in the tension, what it shows is it shows that deep down in our hearts, we struggle with the same thing. We struggle with the same thing. I don't understand all of God's will. It doesn't mean I'm just going to turn a blind eye or I'm going to cut it off or I'm going to cut you guys off and I don't want you know to be people to be angry with me and all this other kind of stuff. I'm not going to cut off either side and neither should you. I use that as one example because that tension exists in a number of other areas. It exists with politics. It exists with public education, believe it or not. I'll be honest, I have a hard time with Christians bashing on evolution. I was a biology major at the U right over here. There's a lot of evolution that's really true. We don't cut it all off. We sit in the tension, and we acknowledge the truth. The truth on this side of what science has shown us, and the truth on this side knowing that I've been made in the image of my Father. And I sit right there. And I want you to join me. Drug alcohol legalization. I love this one. We're, things are going to go crazy when marijuana gets legalized. You know, Christians aren't going to know what to do. They're going to be like, it's still... Synth- Here, pass me a... No, they're not going to say... <laughs> That's not true. That's not true. And who knows what else? I put other comma, etc. because I don't know what the other stuff is. But until you start realizing we don't have it all figured out, There's going to be plenty of other tensions that you have to place yourself there. And it's humbling because you don't know the answers. Get over yourself. It's the pursuit of those answers. That's what people are looking for. So the questions I have is, how might you stand in that tension between God's will and the love of the city? What makes it difficult? What creative ideas or spiritual promptings do you have in finding your place in this tension? And number three, Be radically committed to the good of the city. Last week, I talked to you about the gospel message. The good news is that Jesus Christ reconciles us back to the Father. But that's not all the news. The news is we live in a cursed earth. All creation is groaning and waiting for the full redemption of what Jesus will bring. There is injustice all around you. So find it. Be radically committed to the good of the city while understanding the countercultural aspects of our faith. We must also fully embrace the resources of our faith and our life and our time and maybe even our family to sacrificially serve the good of the city, especially the marginalized. James 1.27 tells us it's especially the marginalized. Keep yourself unstained, that's for sure, but also care for what? The orphans, the widows, anybody who has been cut off from family. We must not be seduced by the consumerism of the city, the idols of image or hipness. And Jeremiah 29, 7, above, God calls the Jews not just to live in the city, but to love it and work for its shalom, its economic, social, and spiritual flourishing. Tim Keller says these words. He says, Christians are indeed citizens of God's heavenly city, but these citizens are always the best possible citizens of their earthly city. Did you hear that? 
They are always the best possible citizens of their earthly city. They walk in the steps of the one who laid down his life for his own opponents. And I I put on here, consider the story of Joseph. I'm not going to go into it because of time. But think about Joseph. It's a huge, long story. But what's fascinating is this. By the time, spoiler alert, by the time he becomes prince of Egypt, right? The, The second in command. He's trying to save who? Egypt. He's trying to save Egypt. God put him there so that they would be ahead of the famine that would come. But what does he end up saving? He ends up saving much more than Egypt. He ends up saving God's people. That's how they ended up down in Egypt, you see? But isn't that fascinating? That because of the concern he has for the good of the city, that it would then be leveraged for the greatest display of God's redemption, this side of Jesus Christ. So, question is, how might we leverage the church to build up the city? What are the needs of the city? And number four, have an unusual sensitivity to cultural differences. This one's also really difficult for some of you. Most evangelical churches, especially in rural settings, have a white middle-class flavor. (laughs) I didn't know what word to put there, so I put flavor. (laughs) And I kept looking at myself, I'm like, wow, I'm a white middle-class male, you know? They tend to lean into the values, the churches, these churches, these evangelical churches lean into the values of safety and comfort, sameness and congruity and agreement. That's a little redundant. Proper order and tradition and control and authority. But in general, the city of Missoula tends to lean into characteristics of creativity, ambiguity and disorder, believe it or not, cynicism, yet at yet a high value of humor, which many times goes hand in hand, intensity and edginess and things that are new, a disdain for high corporation. I'll always remember when Walmart first, do you guys remember when Walmart first came into this town? Oh my goodness, you'd think Missoulians lost their minds. You know, the big corporate monster that comes in here. But they have a disdain for that, a disdain for excessive hype and anything that seems um, disingenuine. A disdain for authoritative pronouncements. If we function in an attractional model religion where we bring outsiders into our context, it is inherently handicapped, though not impossible, because we're bringing them into our world. But then the collective gathering is by far the most effective way of introducing people to gospel truth. So an invitation is necessary. So already we have a little bit of a dilemma there. So the question is, how will we learn other people and other races and gender values, etc. The next question is, how will we identify the blind spots that we have in trying to understand anything outside of the white way? If you look around this room, you're going to see that the, the, the main race that's in this room is white. The problem is, is we think it's normal. It's not normal. What blind spots do we have? The heterosexual way. I just talked about this. What blind spots do we have? As I said before, when we're talking about the gay community, what blind spots do we have? You know what the number one topic is that those guys talk about on those Wednesday nights? Loneliness. What blind spots do we have? The male way. In other words, the way in which men tend to dominate all of culture and all of throughout history, really, and the middle class way. 
These are questions for you to think about. And the reason you think about it is you're trying to find the blind spots that you have. Which leads me to number five, exegete your neighborhood. I had to throw a Bible word in there, and I love it. I said it before when we were talking about exegesis, but when I talk about exegesis, what am I talking about? The what? It's basically the excavation or the investigation, the adventure of trying to find the meaning inside of something, specifically the Bible text. So we go to the word, we look at the scripture, and we're like, we're exegeting. Okay, what did this mean? What was the time period here? What was the culture there? All those kinds of questions. It doesn't just apply to your Bible. Exegete your neighborhood. It's exciting. Learn your community. Develop a natural curiosity for the people in your community. Find ways to strengthen the health of your community in the spirit of Jeremiah 29. But know this, it'll take work and possibly a dose of courage. This was the spirit of Echo in the Park. In 2015, we launched Echo in the Park. It was I got a lot of kickback for it because in the summer, when the summer came, I said, all right, this August, we're not having church anymore. We're going to go to that park and we're going to meet our neighbors. Oh, man, there were some, some people who howled about it, right? Eventually, we did have church on Sunday mornings the following year and, and, and then that point forward. But that's what this was. It was setting up people to exegete, to meet their neighbors and understand the neighborhood and understand the values that they have and all the rest of it. So... What do we do with that? Paul expounds on this, of course, in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 21. When I am with those who are without law, I become as one without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win those who are weak, and I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. And I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become fellow partaker of it. So the question is, do you know the names of your neighbors on all eight sides of your house? You know what I'm talking about? All eight behind you, wait, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, eight, eight sides of your house, right? When was the last time you spoke with the most difficult to know neighbor? And then lastly, remember this. Our love of the city becomes a conduit for the gospel. Here's what churches do. They put things in boxes. They put it in boxes. That's why I don't, I hate the idea that we have parachurch organizations. That stuff should come out of your church naturally. Your service work that you do, the ways in which you extend things to other people, that is creating a conduit for the gospel. So in conclusion, I look back on my notes in Echo. Back in early March of 2013, I sat with a vision team. You want to show the vision team? <laughs> I guess so. I don't know. I, I can't remember what order I put these in. Well, that was a big part of it. That was a good hike. That was fun, Andrew. Sorry. Uh, no, keep going. Yeah, just keep going through it now. What? Just keep. Oh, okay. That was fun, too. Those are old logos. All right, that's our new label. Okay, so I don't know where this came from. Here, go back. But it's like we all decided we were going to look angry. Um, so there's Casey, and then there's myself, and then there's Joe in the background, and Joe right there, and, uh, you know, and, of course, Nick, and then my favorite right here. Boom. <laughs> Steven. But we sat around, and we were looking at the vision of, of what we wanted to do, 
And uh, I found this particular note, and the goal was this. We are a group of people who have radically realigned our lives for the sake of the gospel. The mission is not the churches. It is the Maseo Dei, uh, or Missio Dei, which means the mission of God. It's the thing that we are called to be a part of. And we listed four values, and you see those values back there. But one of them was having a love for Missoula. I give you this paper, and I give you this speech just to say this. The things that I just talked about are really hard. They're really hard. And the things that we have to do to show a love for this town, it's going to have to transcend the typical paradigms that you've grown up with. My heart breaks for this town. And I love all of you so, so much. And this is really hard stepping away from that. At the same time, I step into it and I'm filled with pride. I'm just like, pride in the sense of proud of all of you. I see so many people that are willing to try risky things and give it a shot. The ways in which we have already reached into the city for a small church like this, it's pretty, it's pretty remarkable. God is leading me and he's taking me somewhere else. Unfortunately, I feel as though he's, he's taking me to a different part of this town. My plan right now is to perhaps work with at least one other church plant. It's also to continue to perpetuate the ministries that God has already brought right up to me and, and placed in my hand. I've shared some of that with you before. I want to encourage you with this. I don't know what each of you are going to do moving forward but I'm hoping that you have bathed it in prayer. It's okay to take a break. You've worked hard. You deserve a break. Don't get stuck in your break. If that's you and you have to press pause, don't get stuck there. It's really easy to do. You're too valuable to the kingdom to get stuck there. For those of you who need to go to a different church, the way we've always operated with Echo is this. We're like, God bless. You know, We want you to be fruitful in that other area. But be fruitful. Don't, don't just be someone who attends. That, that wasn't the DNA of what you came out of. Use your gifts in ways that love the city. Carry on the legacy of what's already been created because I'll tell you right now, what's, cre what's been created in the past six, seven years or so, it's of God. I'm simply not smart enough or talented enough to make this happen by myself. It's, and, it's, and it's obvious I'm always stubbing my toe. No, it's of God. Carry that with you if you go to a different church. But then for those of you who are going to stay, I pass the baton to my father. He's going he's gonna to take the pulpit. He's going to lead this church. And in a second here, the elders are going to make an announcement, and then my father's going to be making an announcement. I encourage you to support him. Oh, my goodness. If nothing else, at least give him a head start, right? You know, Because he comes with different vision. And that's really hard for me. I'm telling you. It's really hard. It's rough for a visionary to say, okay, here, you can 
Let it do something else now, you know. That's why my kids are going to stay home all my life. No, they're not. No, they're not. Don't resist it. My father steps in here by God's grace. He's, 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 gonna, he's, used, he's been used all his life by the hand of God. Respect that. And lift him up and support him. The last thing we need is anything contentious. I'm done with that. Stop being angry. Stop. Please, for the love of God, please stop. I know it's frustrating. I'm frustrated. I've walked through a chapter being frustrated with God. I know what it means to be frustrated. But it is like poison if you allow it to seep into the thread and the fabric of this church. It'll tear it to pieces. So please, be sweet. Love each other and be gracious. You've gone through some difficult stuff. Good grief, we did a 10-week series on the role of women in ministry. Congratulations. I love all of you. I can't believe this is it, but I love all of you, and I'm working in the same town, and we're in the same kingdom, so praise God for that. Let's pray. Great God, I thank you so much for this glorious thing that wasn't even supposed to happen. I'm so glad I was wrong. I'm so glad I was wrong. Gracious God, Father, I thank you for what you have done. This is all you. And it's all by your hand. May we give glory to you. May we continue to love a city that's difficult and beautiful at the same time, our own personal Babylon. May we remember the city that uh, we've come from and that we're going to, this glorious Jerusalem in the sky. God, give us strength and give us courage. Help us to live in the tension where we don't find ourselves compromising and at the same time where we don't find ourselves pushing people away. Help us to define new levels of love. What does it mean to open up our eyes to discover the blind spots that we have? What does it mean to stand at the forefront of walking into the injustices of racism and bigotry and and all of the, the problems that this city, they're just begging for answers and for light. Be with each person here. I thank you so much for every person in this room, for what they've meant to me personally and what they've meant to you and your kingdom. So light that fire inside of each of them and then let them go. Let them be creative and fill them up and let them be bold and let them be filled with your word and your spirit. And may they move in such powerful ways, Lord, that the city can't help but notice the blessing that it receives. I thank you for Jesus. It all comes back to him. It all comes back to the grace that was poured out on the cross when he died completely sinless. And he cried out, 
Lord, why have you forsaken me? Because all our sin was on him. It was given to him. It was offered up. And now we are clean. And I thank you for that. I thank you for that union. So Lord, it's in the name of that glorious Savior that we have, I now say, amen.